Rangers fans, listen up. Unfortunately, the Rangers season is over and it is now time to shave off your playoff beards. But to properly take care of your beard, you should head over to NorseBeards.com where they offer an assortment of all-natural beard products. Their beard oil, beard balm, and beard wash will keep your beard clean, soft, healthy, and smell great. Use the promo code OCS to get 25% off your beardsman needs. Don't miss this great opportunity. Make sure you visit NorseBeards.com today. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ice Cold Takes podcast. I'm your host, Joey DeMeglio, and today I'm joined by Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. This is our first episode following the Rangers' elimination from <laughs> the Eastern Conference Finals. And, uh, you know, Greg's joining me. Thank you for joining me, Greg. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm in Denver. I'm here for uh, the Stanley Cup final. I'm in the uh, press box. There's nothing going on, uh, which is a, a good thing. That the extra day off is kind of a dangerous thing, I think, for the uh, sports writers that are on site, especially the Canadians that haven't been uh, out of their country for like two years and are just looking to like drink all that ha- that Denver has to offer. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see how tonight goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, were you in the press box for game one last night? Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, uh, it was um, it was awesome. I mean, the the environment here. I, I was on the East, obviously covering the Rangers and the Lightning, and um, I had heard from people that had covered the series that the environment in uh, Ball Arena, I still want to call it Pepsi Center, but they call it Ball <laughs> Arena, uh, is was really really uh, intense. And like the thing that impressed me last night about the Avalanche fans were like when the Lightning came back in Game One and really made it a game. Uh, I thought maybe we were going to get that, like, uh-oh, adversity has hit. We're going to get real, real quiet now kind of thing. Like, what, 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 you know, whenever the, the Capitals get in trouble, you hear at that, mm-hmm. at that arena. Uh, but they kept it really hype, and they kept it really loud, and I think that helped the Avalanche kind of not wilt in the face of a pretty ferocious comeback from the Lightning in Game 1. I kind of saw it coming. It was a great first game. Good game one for the Stanley Cup Finals. First one on ESPN since uh, the NHL on ESPN started. Uh, I thought it. I thought it went well. But we'll get to that in a little bit. I wanted to ask you. Usually, when we have our high-profile guests on here, we ask like a career question. And uh, I wanted to ask you: Was writing about hockey and covering the NHL always something you wanted to do from when you were little? Oh yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Jersey. I grew up in Matawan, and my dad would bring home from his job he's an electrician in the city so he would bring home the daily news and the post and the star ledger when i was a kid and i would read both of new york tabloids like back to front like sports section entertainment and then maybe like news if there was anything interesting and um and i would devour the star ledger sports section and, and you know i just i just loved it like i was i was a kid who loved reading um, I loved the, when I finally be, got into writing, I loved the sort of construction of writing and, and, you know, thinking about those columnists I used to read, like Mike Lupica and people like that, uh, on how like they put together their, their arguments and their thoughts. And then on top of that, I mean, I, you know, as any kid who grew up in, in the New York metropolitan area will tell you, like WFAN was a huge influence on me as a kid where, you know, you, you would, uh, marinate in these, um, sports talk radio debates 
and it kind of like you know it sparks an interest in you to engage on sports in ways that are really compelling and really like get people interested like people people don't know like like i think a lot of new yorkers don't know like how much sports radio sucks in other parts of the country Mm -hmm. like we were so spoiled and maybe still are with with the two sports stations that we have because like to go from growing up on mike and the mad dog to then going and listening to like the sports talk radio in like dc and places like that it's just it's night and day it's like going from you know the loudest argument you could imagine to like npr (laughs) it's like (laughs) comparison so i i that's how i i got into it and then like the functionality of it is I, i went to maryland um I, I, uh, I majored in journalism, I actually got into PR before I became a, a writer. Um, but then I hooked up with a, a group of community newspapers that covered like high school sports and college sports in Northern Virginia. And then at the same time, um, I had like the time to start doing hockey on the side. And, and I kind of came up at a, t- at a point where there was a ton of opportunity on, on the internet. Like I worked for like AOL sports and then I hooked up with Yahoo in 2008. But, um, I make no like bones about the fact that I got extraordinarily lucky coming up at the time I did because the style that I wrote, like that sort of like pop culture-y wise ass sports coverage thing. Um, and as a blogger too, like was very much just the thing that people wanted in like 2008. And so I got my foot in the door at the right time and was really good at it. And, and it just kind of like, the the, the the timing broke for me in a, in a way that was really advantageous and that kind of drove did that kind of drive you to create your blog on uh yahoo sports what is it puck daddy it was puck daddy yeah so i i was working for aol and a newspaper and uh i wrote for deadspin for a year i wrote like under will leach like back before it, it kind of like you know became what it is today and um and that was really informative because the thing that about old school Deadspin that was fun was like, no matter what you wrote, you weren't going to be as funny as the people commenting underneath your, <laughs> your article. So you had to be really, really good or else they, they were going to like tear you apart. Um, but as I was doing that, uh, Yahoo started this like blog network and, and they hired a bunch of really like smart and cool people to create sites basically. So I, I didn't have a hockey blog before Yahoo hired me to make one. And the name of their blog when they hired me was the NHL Experts blog, which, again, like the hubris in naming something, the NHL Experts blog still is amazing to me. Um, the original name of the blog was going to be Zamboni Pony, uh, which <laughs> I, I, I could tell I could see the writing on the wall that like. I would do radio hits and they would refer to me as the Zamboni pony. So I'm like, that ain't going to fly. So I told them that Zamboni was a trademark name. We couldn't use it. So then they, they went to Puck Daddy instead. And um, like at the start of that career, I, I was work- I was working at this newspaper and I had to convince them that I had to convince them to hire me full time. They, 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 they thought hockey was a sport that would require like a part time blogger type. And I said, just just pay me this number and give me the blog, and I guarantee you that it'll be a success. And and it wound up being huge. Like it, we, there were outside of uh, the NFL and the NBA, we had the highest traffic and time spent reading the blog of of anything that they created, which is pretty incredible for hockey at that point. So, and then after you created the blog, eventually you find yourself in ESPN, which is where you're at now. So, tell me, what's it like working there? 
it's awesome. Like it, it's, it is, it's a really bizarre place to work, right? Because it is a giant corporation. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and by that, I mean, like, so I'm at the, the Stanley Cup final, right? And I was going to do a TV hit on Daily Wager, which is a show that I do, like the sports gambling show. And I go over to find the TV people. And there are people I've never seen before in my entire life. I've worked there for five years and they don't know me and I don't know them, but we're all on the same team. And so like, eventually I go find the people I got to be with, but it's like a huge mothership and you walk into the Bristol headquarters and, and you try to find like your little group that you can kind of like know and hang with and, and whatever, with the acknowledgement that there are a billion other branches on that tree. Um, as far as like working there, um, it opens up a lot of doors that aren't otherwise open for you as far as like access to people and, and, and things. Even before we became a rights holder, the, the name ESPN gets you through the door on a lot of things. Um, and then it's just like a really fun um, place to be creative. I, I think that was one of the, maybe the thing that I was worried about the most was going from a blog where we did like Photoshop contests and made a bunch of dick jokes to to uh to espn and not being able to be as creative but like they, they give me a column to do every week that i can just kind of do whatever i want um they gave us a show the drop me and Ardo cal that we could kind of like create and do whatever we want and so there are those opportunities within the company to um kind of try to break the mold a little bit as much as you can uh and i've i i think i'd be i'd be going out of my mind right now if there weren't those opportunities and I'm, I'm happy that that there is that balance to strike between the traditional espn things that you have to do and then also the kind of fun things that you can kind of carve out for yourself yeah it's so it seems like it's a it's a lot of fun from talking from listening to you and i actually had Ardo Cow on a couple months hey, ago there he is yeah and uh you guys seem to have a lot of fun i asked him about you know the bingo sheets that you guys did at the, the trade <laughs> deadline um those were really fun i was really i i was I was dying at the, uh, is John Tortorella going to eat chicken parm or whatever, whatever that was. That's so funny. Well, the best thing, best part about that. So like I've done trade deadline now, uh, at, at two places. I did it at Sportsnet and I did it at ESPN and I did it at Sportsnet when I was at Puck Daddy and they had, I, I served the same role twice, which is that when there is absolutely nothing else going on, we'll go to Greg and, and maybe something funny will happen. And so, you know, Arda and I were sitting there. We got on the air maybe like four times. We had probably about 20 things prepared in case they needed us. And you mentioned Tortorella. The funniest part of that day was when he and I uh, were sitting at our little table, like waiting for a chance to go on. And at one point, Tortorella just kind of looks over at us and like mouths, right? <laughs> uh and because and, and, he was like baffled as to why we were just sitting there for like an hour and a half and not doing anything while Torts had to talk and talk and talk and talk during the deadline. So um, it's the real it's really fun to work with Arda um, and, and it's really fun to create the things that we've created on the on the drop. Um, it's uh, it's a show that I, I, I'm, I'm anticipating based on the success that we've had numbers wise. We'll be back uh, not only like later in this series, but also next year which is just really exciting. I, 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 I'm, I'm so happy that uh, like we do everything really well. Like we do storytelling well and news breaking well. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to, I just want us to be a little weirder sometimes when it comes to hockey coverage. And, and I feel like we can, we, we help contribute to that. 
a little bit more personable. Yeah, I could I could speak for some fans uh, on tw- I've seen on Twitter say, you know, we want to see more of these these personalities, and that goes for both players, management of a team, and reporters. I'd say too. I I would love to see I would love to see as much character as possible. I think it adds it adds flavor to it, so it's not just the same dry thing you're watching over and over again, where you're just reporting the news. You add a little bit of flair into it, and it gets more enjoyable for everybody, both for you and for the the viewers or the listeners. Um, but I wanted to move on and talk about the Rangers series. Uh, this is our first episode, by the way, since the Rangers got eliminated. As I mentioned in the beginning, it's also our first episode live, and uh, I'm. Very excited, and I hope this is going well. Uh, we'll have to see when the episode <laughs> publishes how it goes, but um, I'm having a good time already. Uh, for Rangers fans, is unfortunate unfortunate end to the season after going up 2-0 on the Lightning, the defending, defending Stanley Cup champions. Lightning rattled off four consecutive wins. First time the Rangers have dropped four straight games all year long, and it came at the worst time imaginable. They dropped game six, in Tampa after tying it late on a power play goal from Vetrano. And I wanted to get your full thoughts on the Rangers this year because I know that they're a team that, you know, um, they struggled at in scoring this year at even strength. And they just had such a lethal power play and they were carried for such a long time, basically the entire season by Shesterkin. So tell me, what did you think about this run the Rangers went on? I thought they were going to win the series, man. I really did. Like, I... I... I watched them against Carolina. I watched them win that game seven on the road and win the last two games of that series in the way in which they did. And I said, wow, they are really putting it together at the right time. Like I really thought that they were going to be that underdog team that relies on a hot goalie, um, ekes out enough offense in front of them, and then kind of like gets through based on that. I thought they'd get waxed by Colorado, but I thought (laughs) they might have enough to get through Tampa. And the fact that they didn't, is still surprising to me but then when you peel back the layers of what happened in the series it kind of makes sense like they the rangers ended up being who they thought who we thought they were uh a team that was over overly reliant on shuriken um and he held up his end of the bargain in the lightning series a team that was overly reliant on their power play and they they were the only thing scoring by the end of that series because they you know only had two even strength goals since the first period of game two Um, but I was a little bit surprised that they couldn't create more at five on five. I mean, like I, you know, I watched that Panarin line do pretty well against Carolina. Um, even if the Zibanejad line was going to be held in check, which it was against the Jordan Stahl line in that series, like the kid line was going well, you had other options that were producing. And I was a little bit surprised that they couldn't put it together more at five on five. Part of that is Vasilevsky and and part of that's the the checking line doing what they did against Zibanejad and Kreider. Um, and maybe part of it's Gerard Gallant not, you know, kind of reacting to what was going on until it was too late, maybe a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, I just think that, like, and I wrote about this at the at the end of the series, like, there's there are, there are results that you can get pissed off at if you're a Ranger fan and results that you really can't. And I think at the end of the day, the knowledge that the the core of this team is so young, Fox, Chichurkin, um, the kids – and then the veterans are still very much in their prime that it, this could be one of those like learning experiences that we've seen the lightning have. And we saw Colorado have where we're talking about that Eastern conference final as being the reason the Rangers win one day. Yeah. And I mean, 
you brought up you brought up the coaching and I wanted to kind of pick your brain for a little bit too. I, I wanted to bring that up. The coaching, I definitely have my thoughts on that. But would you also consider fatigue to be a problem? Twenty games in forty days for the Rangers. Yeah, and, and Cooper brought that up at the end of the series too. I mean, like the, the inherent advantage that the Lightning had as the series went on was their nine day layoff, which was the reason they didn't play well at the beginning was the reason that they started playing well at the end. And, and the Rangers obviously played a lot of hockey and and not just a lot of hockey, but also a lot of hockey coming back in series. Like there there's, there's, you can measure it by days, but then you can also measure it by the expenditure of energy to get back from three, one down to get back uh, from the precipice against the, the hurricanes at three, two down. Like that, that's like more than just the day is spent. That's like expending that much energy mentally and physically to get back into series. And, and that's what really what caught up with them. One of the great lessons that the lightning learned during their cup runs was don't put yourself behind the eight ball. Um, it, it, that was a lesson they learned because they lost in game sevens to the penguins and the capitals in the conference finals. But it was also just like ex- get, get through those early series as quickly as you can. You know, give yourself the opportunity to rest up and, and be ready for when you do have to go deeper into series. And, and I think the Rangers probably have figured that out by now. They were very close to putting themselves behind the eight ball in game three. The Rangers were were just so close to, to getting a stranglehold on that series. I mean, 2 nothing lead in the second period. And then Truba takes a penalty and Kucherov gets a goal. And that's right there. That was when I knew, you know, all momentum had shifted towards... Tampa Bay. I didn't think yeah. they would rattle all four straight wins, <laughs> but I knew they were going to win that game. I knew I I knew as a fan that you know okay, you gave them you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile, and uh, yeah. they ended up doing that. They took all of our all of uh, the Rangers' advantages. Home ice didn't matter. They got late goals in Game Three and Game Five, which were pivotal, of course, and that ultimately ended up leading them to a series victory. And also, I wanted to talk about... Uh, well, hold up. Well, well, what, so what was your beef with Gallant? I'm curious. Is Gallant, right? yeah. So I, w- I didn't agree with what he was saying about about how he scratched Kako in Game 6. I mean, I don't think it would have done any... I don't think it would have changed the outcome. But, I mean, that's your second overall pick from from a couple years ago. You want that guy, that kid to be a staple of your franchise. You want him to play in these important games. So to me, it doesn't matter if he has an outcome on the on the game or not. I want him to be exposed to be on the yeah. ice for when Tampa is touching the trophy, be out there for the handshakes, you know, just be exposed to all that so that he could come back and experience. I mean, it's sad, but, you know, if you experience the disappointment, it's going to make you a better player. It's going to make you come back stronger. I saw Kreider. I heard Kreider at the end uh, give uh, Shesterkin a pat on the back and say, we'll be back next year. And that's yeah. what that's what Kreider's done. He's been, he's been in this spot many times throughout the course of his career. Rangers have been eliminated however many times since he's worn the uniform, and he's experienced all of those. I wanted uh, Kako to experience that same thing. Yeah, I think that's a valid point, and, I, and like I, I'm sure, like you know, I my problem with it was the fact that he didn't address it when he did when he made the decision, either in game with Emily or like after the game with us, like. Um, he, he hung his player out to dry in the world of social media reactionary commentary where people were speculating, oh, it must be an incident with the coach or, oh, he must have done something off the ice. And like, that's a really terrible thing to do, your, do to your player just because you don't want to have to explain a decision that didn't work. Um, and I thought that was a really, really petty thing for him to do. I, I was surprised to see it from Gallant, who's, who's known as, as a real players guy. 
Yeah, and uh, there's some people speculating that Kako might not come back th- next year, that he might take a qualifying offer from another team. But he also said on breakup day that he liked it in New York, and he wants to basically prove everyone wrong that he belongs in the starting lineup. And I think that's the right attitude to have. It's it's either that or, you know, you do what Kravtsov did and go back to go back to the KHL and play there and not accept the AHL assignment. I think Kako handled it well. So I wouldn't say that he's willing, he is preferring a qualifying offer. I think he'll be back next year with the Rangers. Is that kind of what you think too? Yeah, I think so. Now, do you still think that, uh, you know, him and Jack Hughes were basically like, you know, the same guy and and you would have been happy with either of them? (laughs) I mean, I mean, yeah. Okay. So with Hughes, he's, he is the guy on that team on, on the devils. No question about it. He is the best player on the devil. I I mean, he sure is a, is a great player. I love that. He's captain of the team. The the devils have, are building something really good over there. The group of forwards is great. And uh, just got to hire the right coach. I'd say for the devils. But I'd take, I'd take your roster right now. As a devil's fan, I'd take your roster. Like I'm extraordinarily jealous of, of (laughs) the fact that, you know, much like the Penguins went from Mario to Sid, you went from Hank to Igor. That's insane. Like, what is that? Like, what franchise has that kind of luck to be able to go from, like, a GOAT Hall of Fame goalie to, like, the next guy? It's, like, right. wild, in my opinion. As a guy who watched his team play upwards of, like, eight goalies, some of whom I I, I think might have been made-up names. I got to be honest with you. I don't even think mm-hmm. that they were real people. It's been rough since Brodor retired for, for the Devils. Uh Got to draft the, got to draft the goal. I mean, sometimes the later rounds, you find those hidden gems, develop them well. <laughs> uh, Benoit Allaire is is the hockey guru, the goalie guru we like to call him on the podcast. Uh, he does a great job, but I mean, Shesterkin himself was already was was already great. Like his numbers in the KHL, he yeah. never lost. That guy never lost, and even in the NHL this year, he barely had any losses. Like there was there was a handful of times and. He's basically, he's always there. He's always there. And that's why I think the Rangers were a good team. If it weren't for him, I told Jamie McLennan, I said this last week, and I said it the week before, if the Rangers didn't have Igor Shostakovich, we would be competing for a first overall draft pick for another lottery selection. It's probably true. Yeah. And um, I also wanted to talk about more beef I had with Gallant. Um, (laughs) Some of those lineup decisions were a little suspect for me. And the strategies, I, I was expecting more of uh, an in-your-face style forechecking this year, you know, good off transition, in transition. But I didn't see much of that. I saw a lot of dumping cha- ju- dumping and chasing this year. And I don't know if it was a lack of speed, why they weren't able to get it done, but I just I didn't see that being... I thought Gallant did a good job all year. Um, incredible job, considering where the Rangers came from last year, not making the playoffs, kind of a disappointing year. They fired their GM, head coach, and president. And then this year, they completely turned it around. I still think he did a good job, but I just think some of the offensive strategies leave a lot to be desired. I don't know. No, I think you're right. I think I think for the amount of talent that they have on the roster, there's too, they're too much of a counterpunch team. There were times in the playoffs when you really started to see them roll and, and get to the point where they kind of look like Galant's teams in Vegas where it was four lines, every single one hits the ice, they're they're skating through they're forechecking they're gaining zone time and and it was exciting to watch and and usually it was happening at the garden more than anywhere else but it was exciting to watch and and then you you watch them kind of like wilt back a little bit and and not play that style and you're you're wondering okay 
you can't put the pedal down for 60 minutes, but you should be able to put the pedal down more than they do. And especially with a guy like Fox, like you watch this Colorado team and the way that they activate their defense and the way that McCarr becomes a fourth forward for them. Um, that happens at times for the Rangers, but I think it should happen more often. They definitely have some guys that can do that. And, and uh, that part of their aggressive offensive game, I think, is something that they could cultivate a little bit better. I like that you brought up Colorado because I was watching last night and, you know, McKinnon is just such a fast player. I mean, he's otherworldly. He's one of the best players in the league. But the trap, the neutral zone trap, or if you trap at the blue line, does nothing to him because he skates right through it every single time with, yeah. with full speed. I mean... If you have a fast skater like that, then that's your advantage. Like the trap does nothing to Colorado. And I think the Rangers were suspect to the trap this year. Uh, I, I mean, I talked about it with another guest a few weeks ago who was also a Devils fan that the, <laughs> that 90s, those 90s teams, early 2000s had mastered hockey and just figured out the neutral zone trap with that. I mean, it's so frustrating to play against. But if you have no speed and you're only using the dump and chase, you're not going to get the puck in. Uh, you're not going to have possession. And I think that's where the the crux of the 5v5 problems uh, occurred for the Rangers this year. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, on all that because I know you had a lot to say about that um, all year. The Rangers struggled at 5v5 all year, no question. But Yeah, they were terrible. Was, yeah, they, they were terrible, <laughs> like, yes. Pre-deadline, like – as a fan, you it, could put a stopwatch, and it was like ten seconds in the offensive zone. They got a little bit better. They got a little bit better at the deadline. I mean, like again, like you know, the Ranger fans all gave me grief for like talking about the teams that they played, and they weren't good. Okay, um, but they, but they, but there was a clearly an uptick in quality because it carried over to the playoffs. Like they weren't, they they, they got cratered in some games, but they weren't as disastrous at five on five in in all cases as they were pre deadline. And guys like Cop and Mott and um you know braun and you know they all they all kind of helped a little bit uh but but ultimately ultimately five on five was the death knell for this team they they couldn't hang at even strength against the lightning and and that's what killed them yeah they were just so relentless on the four check tampa was and you know before the deadline the rangers played many many lottery teams like early in the season the majority of their schedule was against lottery teams and they were winning those games but they were not winning like the analytics battles at all. It was just, it was heavily one-sided, had a lot. I mean, I would chop it up to face-offs. Again, lack of speed on the, the dump and chase. So, something with the strategy too, so, like here and there. But again, like you said, you said that it was weak competition after the deadline. I'll give you that. Weak competition, <laughs> but still, still an improvement in this is an improvement. Yeah. You take those yeah. same teams they played before the deadline and they were still bad at 5v5. And then after the deadline, they were one of the best teams. I still see and, it as an improvement, even though it's and, the end of the year. And, you know, those those teams that are fighting for a lottery pick are, you know, just trying to get to the end of the season. And they controlled play against some pretty good teams. Like you watch those games again, like I think the ability to get the matchups that they wanted at home was a big reason for it. But like you watched how they played against Carolina in that series and like they got after it and Carolina is an elite five on five team, you know? So it was, uh, there were flashes of, of how you'd want them to play at five on five. They just, they just couldn't do it enough. So what would you say an improvement would be for, for the team for next year? How, how would they fix that? Is it going out and getting a better center like Larkin or Shifley, or maybe a better winger for Panarin like Debrinket or Patrick Kane? Yeah, I'm not a Shifley guy. I'd stay away from Shifley. Um, <laughs> that that's just that Strom decision is a really interesting one. Um, 
I mean, I think you could easily just like have him walk, use the money, find someone else. But he's one of those guys that just like seems to fit really well with with Panarin, and um, and sometimes you you're left trying to fill that void if you create one. Um, but again, like the counter argument is the one you just made, which is that if you're not producing five on five, you could logically look and say, okay, you have a, a second line center. That's not of the upper echelon elite quality that most teams would have if you're a championship contender, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's one, one place, obviously there could be some tactical differences. Like we just talked about in the way that Galan approaches how to use those forward lines. Um, but I'll be intrigued to see what, what changes they make. I mean, clearly the training wheels are off clear. Clearly it's now a cup contender. Uh, and, and when that happens, uh, you, you know, things tend to get kind of aggressive for the Rangers when they start to smell it a little bit. Uh, maybe, maybe it won't for Drury. I'm not quite sure how he'll operate, but, um, you have to imagine that they're going to just like keep upping the ante now that they've gotten this close. I've even seen some people say that they want Paul Stasny. And I mean, even now he's, he's a little bit older, but he's still, a good hockey player. I don't know where he would fit, what line I would put him on if I was constructing a lineup, second line center, third line well, center. Um, I'll but, give you a guy. Yeah. I give you a guy that I think is interesting. And Stasny's not bad, by the way. Stasny is Stasny had a really good season um, statistically, but also in the sense that he was able to play any role they threw at him and play it well, which is a, a, a kind of like an Andrew Kopp almost like ability, right? Like you can have him do the defensive thing, the offensive thing, and he thrives in, in any any uh, situation. Uh, Andre Palat's a free agent. And he's the kind of guy that I look at and say, all right, so good five-on-five player, good two-way player, which is important, and will have played on back-to-back cup champions, maybe a three-peat cup champion, and he beat you <laughs> like in that yeah. series. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, he's not exactly like the biggest personality or, or what have you, but if you're a team trying to get over the hump and there's a guy available who is now famous for getting his team over the hump uh, when it counts, wouldn't be the worst idea. Might cost you a little bit, but it wouldn't be the worst idea to have him in the mix on, on the wing. If you can't beat him, take him. Yeah. Why not? Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Pilat has had the Rangers number over the past few, like you even go back to 2015, the, the uh, triplets line, they ran rampant yeah. on on the the rangers yeah. and plot was at the center of that uh, i forget how many really, points he had but oh yeah they had a ton of points that that group yeah. was great and he's just yeah. a really really solid two-way player who tends to show up when you need him and, and as a team that again couldn't couldn't find an even strength goal with a magnifying glass for the last four games of that series to have someone who goes to the net and makes a play could make all the difference yeah and i mean we've talked an awful lot about how panarin uh needs a puck retriever so to get to go in along the boards fish the puck out and you know get it to him so he could distribute it to everybody or you know uses his really uh underused wrist shot to his strength which he should have done this year but he didn't end up doing he had like i don't know how many over 70 assists this year but like 20 something goals maybe (laughs) and uh um i mean i'll take all the points as a fan i will i'll take all the points but uh, I want him to use that shot a little bit more, and I think it would be interesting. That that's uh, I didn't really think about Pala. I didn't. I had no idea that he was a free agent. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, hire yeah. me, consultant, consultant, Chris Drury. Give me that James <laughs> Dolan money, baby. I'm right Greg, here. Greg Wyshynski's ice cold take of the day: The Rangers should go for 
Andre Palat in free agency. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I don't know if Tampa Bay they're gonna be in like cap hell. Uh, they've been in cap hell for the past couple of years, just trying yeah. to keep the core of their their team together. They had to completely rebuild their third line uh, at the deadline this year, and I think they did a pretty solid job. Like all those players they got, like Nick Paul and Brandon Hagel, they're doing a fantastic job nick paul is doing such a great job yeah for, for that. Yeah. that i mean he's scoring but he's he plays a a, a big game honestly i think yep. he's a, a good player for them yep um but yeah i th- i don't know how much money they're gonna have to, to re-sign uh palat or how much money he's asking uh but that would be interesting if the rangers were were in on that i could see i could see chris Drury kind of going after a player like that a hard-nosed player kind of uh, like the yeah. two-way player yeah. Kind of like uh, another Goudreau, but more skilled, more of yeah. an offensive uh, mind than uh, than a defensive mind. Definitely more of an offensive mind than Goudreau. But yeah, he's he's real good. I, I've heard some speculation, maybe even Steve Eiserman goes and tries to get him for Detroit as sort of like that veteran piece that they can kind of like teach the kids by example and stuff. I, I think if the if he doesn't resign in Tampa, there's there's no short of shortage of suitors for for Palat. But again, you know. They win four or they win three. It's hard to believe that someone would leave with a chance to make it four, right? Mm. Like you might you might stick around for one more year and, and see if you can make it work. Yeah, and then again, if they're if they're cap like if their cap situation's too much for them to handle, and they can only offer him so much. Then I mean, I don't know how how much of a discount he'd be willing to take. I, I believe he was drafted by Tampa Bay, or he was he, he's homegrown he was, yeah. homegrown player. So I believe he, he was might. like a low a low draft pick too, like yeah, one of those I, like uh, diamonds in the rough type deals. Yeah, I believe that's correct. Yeah, uh, Detroit. I mean, for him, that would be a good fit too because they're an up and coming team. Eiserman is again one of the best GMs, and we we like to say if you if you get a phone call from Steve Eiserman, don't even answer the phone because he's just gonna <laughs> fleece you. Uh, I mean, he got the goalie in the Delkovich for a third round pick. Uh, that was just incredible last year. I don't know how he did that. And then when he was, I believe he was in charge when he made the McDonough trade. Uh, that he was, was. Just, yeah, that was just a fleece, fleece from uh, the Rangers. That was the, the worst trade they made in the uh, the entire rebuild era. They didn't get much out of that. Uh, we like to we like to nail that point home many times on Rangers Twitter. Uh, it's very sad. <laughs> But I mean, there were other good trades. I, th- I think the Rangers have a, a very solid core. A couple things they need to improve at. I think faceoffs is a big thing uh, mm-hmm. next year. Uh, the Capitals hired Michael Pekka to be like their faceoff coach or to help their team. So I kind of want the Rangers to do something like that. Maybe hire like Ruslan Fedotenko or Brandon Dubinsky. Maybe if Brian Boyle retires, hire him or something. There you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, I I mean play all starts with the face-off if you if you win it you gain possession of the puck especially offensive zone draws i think the rangers were the worst face-off percentage team in the offensive zone it was less than 40 percent uh last i checked in the playoffs and that's not good enough if you if you want to get to the finals at least especially against a team like tampa bay um yeah. moving on to the finals though i wanted to get your thoughts uh on game one I mean, exciting, exciting all the way through. Did you see Tampa Bay coming back, or, or was that a surprise? Oh, I saw them coming back, uh, mainly because I had them uh, over the two-and-a-half goal team total as my best bet uh, on Daily Wager, <laughs> so they had to come back for me to hit it. Um, I take a lot of pride in that shit. Uh, so I think 
I think game one was interesting for a couple reasons. One, it's the type of game one the Lightning usually have, where even if they win, it's never really that impressive. And they are kind of like processing what the other team is doing. So I think here they've, they learned a little bit about the altitude. They learned a little bit about uh, the speed with which the Avalanche play and the tempo with which they play. I think they did a good job game planning against Makar. Um, He had a bunch of shot attempts, but didn't really make a difference on the score sheet. And they played pretty well against McKinnon. They they had a lot of puck support around McKinnon. He, He had five shots on goal, but he wasn't as overwhelmingly dangerous as he was in, in, in the games that I've seen him in pre- in previous rounds. So there's some things to pull from that game. Again, like they all defended Vasilevsky after the game. He gave up two soft goals. I, I don't know what was going on with him in the first period. Um, he won't do that again. His numbers after game ones are sick. Uh, so I think there's a lot for the lightning to build on there. And if you're the avalanche, I mean, you got to be really happy with the fact that you got contributions from Barakowski, from the Kushkin, um, you know, and you were able to win a game on home ice. And as long as you're doing that, you're going to be in good shape. Um, So I I think both teams can kind of come away feeling pretty happy with with what happened in game one, even if you're maybe not as happy if you're the Lightning, because, you know, it could have been a different result if you had played better the first 10 minutes of the game. Yeah, I was surprised by I knew top Colorado's top six was was good even without Kadri in the lineup, but I was very impressed by their bottom six like O'Connor, yeah. Darren Helm is still kicking butt at however old he is now. Uh, that he's he's great. He had a great first period. He had a really good shift in in the beginning. Uh, puck just always seemed to find him. I think that's what Sean McDonough said, the broadcaster. He said the puck kept finding him, and I, that's that couldn't be more true. They uh, both have lines. Yeah. They both have a couple lines like that. Like the 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 Sorelli line that a number on advantage ad. Um, they're like that. Maroon's lines like that. The Helms lines like that. Where they may not necessarily produce goals. I mean, Helm famously did in that last game against the the Blues. But um, they 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 just get in behind your D and forecheck you to oblivion. And and in the case of that Helm line, it's sometimes to then soften up a line so they can bring out McKinnon or to soften up a line to get McKinnon a better matchup. And it's a really, really valuable tool to have in your, in your, in your arsenal to have a, a line like that, that you know is going to give you a good shift every time. And it's also like the strat, that strategy that you're talking about. It's something we've talked about for the Rangers, possibly like on the power play, maybe start with power play too. So you wear down the opponent, <laughs> get a face off and then bring Panarin's line out there and then, and then score, even though the, the power play was, was the best I don't thing think we, put. Yeah, I don't think we should be messing with the Rangers power play, man. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's you got a good thing going there. You were the best in the playoffs before yeah. uh, before bowing out. So I think that, you're all right on power play. That's true. That's true. And you know, but that's a that's a good thing that you know Colorado does takes advantage of that kind of strategy. I like that, you know, throwing out a third or a fourth line just to wear down the oppo- opposing team. You might not get a goal, but you're spending some time in the offensive zone and then you throw McKinnon out there while their defensemen are on their heels and there you go. Yep. Got a good chance of getting a goal now. And yep. also, I think Colorado's defense is is so stacked. It's just, you know, up and down. Uh, it's, it stinks that Sam Gerrard is, is out now. Uh, I mean, Jack Johnson, I think he did a, a pretty fine job uh, last night. He's come a long way. Um, he was once a very high draft pick. He was a great defender. And then he went to Pittsburgh, and then everything 
flip-flopped on well, him. So it's good to see. He's one of those reclamation guys. I mean, yeah. him, Nakushkin's the same way. It's like, you know, someone's trash is, is Colorado's treasure, right? Like they just yeah. find ways to to find the right guys for their, their system and their fit. Yeah, and, uh, you know, again, that defense just completely stacked. Bo Byram, he's he's doing a great job. Devontae's is... Um, is is such a good defender. I mean, that was a really underrated pickup, I'd say, by by the Avalanche from the Islanders. Uh, it was frustrating to play against when when he was on the Islanders for the for the Rangers. Um, but yeah, they did a good job. That that entire defense goaltender goaltender doesn't need to be otherworldly, just a, a good enough goalie. And I think they have that now with with Kemper. So it should be a pretty even series. I hope it goes seven, uh, just just for entertainment value, you know? Yeah. Good, would be a good way to start the NHL on ESPN, right? It certainly would. It yeah. certainly would. Although if it goes seven, I don't think the Avalanche will win the cup. <laughs> uh, yeah. <Yep. laughs> yeah, Lightning, guess, have a, Lightning have a funny way of winning those games. <laughs> yeah, Vasilevsky is, I like to say that he's not just money or gold. He's diamond in series clinching wins. It's like, yep. it was a 990-something save percentage before Vetrano's uh, goal on him in, in game six in series clinching wins. Uh, ridiculous uh, goals against average guys otherworldly and when it when it matters the most he's the guy that's going to step up for you Vasilevsky and that's why he's to me he's the best he's still the best goaltender uh, even with those two softies in in the in uh, game one last night I think he yeah if it weren't for him Tampa Bay would I don't know if they they might be game seven I don't know game seven with the Rangers who knows? But uh, he's definitely kept them in some games. He's won them some games over over the course of this sort of dynasty they've started. Uh, but speaking of goaltenders, uh, I've been asking people, should Igor Shesterkin win the Hart Trophy this year? Hmm. I had him in I had him in my top three. I, I know I had Matthews first. Everyone's I, everyone's saying that he's in the the top three. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know where I had him in in because I mean they. Like I remember towards the end of the year that that they were winning, like they didn't need him as much, mm-hmm. um, and, and so that kind of changed. But like he did so much heavy lifting for them earlier in the season. He might have been two on my ballot behind Matthews. I think Matthews' the season was just like so good, right? Like it's hard to really argue with 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 the the way that that he played and and his influence on that team. But I think I think Igor might have been two for me, and then maybe like Connor was three. I want to say, but can he win the heart? No, I mean like. I, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be like one of those years where the, the there is another offensive player or there is an offensive player whose season was so overwhelming that that he'll he'll jump ahead of the goalie. And usually when the goalie wins, it's because there isn't another option. And I think there was another option this year for the voters. I think there are a lot of options this year for voters for uh, for MVP. Uh, yep. Johnny Goudreau, Hubert Doe, McDavid, Dreisaitl, you name it. Matthews, even. Uh, all fantastic players. You know, I had when I had Arda on, he was he was telling me that it should be Igor Shesterkin hands down. So I'd be interested to see. Have you guys like debated yeah, on we, like the show every now we and talk, then? We talked about it on the drop. Yeah, like he he and I he and I chopped it up a little bit on that. I I, I don't think that's a, I don't think it's a bad answer, right? I think I think Igor mm-hmm. has has a great case, um, and I don't think there'd be anything wrong with him winning. I just think. Uh, Knowing the voters and, and knowing what our our Con Smythe watch sort of produced um, during the season, that I, I'm not sure if he was leading at one point, but I don't think he'll lead at the end. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense because, like what you were saying, the Rangers relied on him a little bit less after the deadline because they upped their five v five game, and then Matthews completely stepped it up. Uh, what was it? Sixty goals that he hit this year? Or was it yep. 50, 58? Yep. It was sixty. Nine, yes. Yeah, he did. Um, and last question for you: Who wins the Stanley Cup this year? Who comes out on top in that series? I picked the Abs in six. I, I mean, I, I think any any um, result that is predicted can happen. I, I, I think this is a really special matchup. Um, not only because the teams are so evenly matched, but because the storylines behind them are so interesting. A three-peat versus a team trying to break through and win. And um, there's no like underdog story. They're like, they're clearly the two best teams in the playoffs. And um, at the end, like to have, to have a final where no matter what the result is, it's good for hockey is a really rare thing. And, uh, and I think that's where we are with the series, but I picked the abs in six. I, I, I think their, their depth and their speed um, was going to be enough. And, and I figured that either Francho or Kemper could get them a save. I'm not convinced it's Kemper as much as you are. Like, uh, I'm not a big Darcy Kemper guy, but but mm. I think that the, at the end of the day, they'll they'll get enough saves where they're going to be able to win the series. Yeah, I think they're I think they're good enough in front of him to you know stay competitive in that series to to run with Tampa Bay and you know that offense is just is just good enough to to get them some wins. I'd say. Um, but anyways, Greg, thanks so much for hopping on with me, doing the podcast. Really appreciate it. I uh, hope the live went well. Uh, maybe people listening or watching could could let me know after I end this. But again, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, we talked about Vasilevsky before. I have a column on ESPN today that uh, talks about like his Mount Rushmore status. I talked to Bredor <laughs> about him. And so we'll see where that goes. But uh, but I appreciate your time. And uh, and thanks for uh, thanks for being a, a sweetheart to a Devils fan, you evil <laughs> Rangers person. <laughs> Hey, Rangers fans, thank you so much for listening to the Ice Cold Takes podcast this week. Make sure you follow at Ice Cold Takes Pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest Rangers info. See you all next week. Time, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay.